It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Just like the Cougar football team, Ben Criddle was built, not born. And since 2009, he's built himself into the go-to source on the radio and online for all things BYU. This is Cougar Sports with Ben Criddle on ESPN 960 and ESPN960sports.com. Welcome back. Cougar Sports, ESPN 960. This is Cougar Country. I'm Ben Criddle broadcasting live from our Les Schwab Tire Studios, leschwab.com. Safe travel starts with us at leschwab, leschwab.com. Make sure you got the right tires on your vehicles, leschwab, leschwab.com. Little Eminem bringing us back from the break. Detroit Lions are out, but uh, Eminem still, hopefully, uh, your number one lyricist, your number one rapper in your hearts. Yeah, no, you don't have to get them till 3.30, buddy. I said 3.30, Martin. Okay, just slow your roll, buddy. <laughs> slow your roll. Uh, so, um, Eminem band of the day, artist of the day, brought to you by RoyalArmyBrand.com. BYU swag crew to buy fans for fans. Stay loyal to the Royal. Rep the Y the right way. Purchase all your BYU license apparel at RoyalArmyBrand.com. The finest twine linens of Brigham. Conversational pieces that you're going to love. Your friends and family members will love as well. Double D by my side. Darnell Dixon, Caleb Christian is uh, is also behind the mic and on the socials. And we got Martin Kelly behind the glass. My question today revolves around this quote from former Boston head, uh, Boston College head coach uh, Jeff Halfley, who is leaving Boston College to become the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Just a quick side note, with all of this happening, NIL, you know, transfer portal, the new college football landscape, I'm surprised Bronco Mendenhall hasn't made the jump to the NFL to just coach football instead of, like, taking a job in New Mexico. Anyway, just a random thought. Good point. Question of the day, who or what do you blame for the current state of college athletics? Because I think there's blame to go around, no doubt. And I think the low-hanging fruit, I know what it's going to be. I know exactly what it's going to be. You're going you're gonna to either attack the NCAA or you're going to attack the players, the student-athletes. Those are the two you're going to blame. Oh, it's the players. They're selfish. They're narcissists. They're egocentric. All they care about is money. It's all their fault. 
First, though, you're going to blame NCAA. The NCAA is who you're going to blame. And you're going to give way too much credit to the NCAA and their uh, profiteering mentality and their corruption and their lack of ability and in in accountability they can't they can't manage anything they didn't invest well enough they didn't do it all these things right you're not going to blame the universities that were supporting and giving power to the ncaa you're not going to blame at university presidents and maybe as an extension of that athletic departments that have been making money a ton of profits off of student-athletes for the last 80 years. You're not going to do that. You know, and that's what's so intriguing to me. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what people are saying because I guarantee you they're going to say NCAA and they're going to say student-athletes rather than, than even like, what about television networks? Why not blame them too? You know, it's not like they're figuring out ways to – to funnel money to the student-athletes, right? They're just a big part of the puzzle that is lining the pockets of the NCAA or university athletic departments. That's who they're – or conferences and conference commissioners. Why not blame conference commissioners? Like anyone with a a clear conscience and, like, understanding the morality of the situation knows, like, "Eh, we're kind of taking advantage of these student-athletes. But they're getting an education. They're going pro in something else. They're going pro in something else. We give them a stipend. We give them an education. Yeah, but they're also allocating 40, 50, 60 hours a week to what? Their craft that's making a a lot of money for the university and the NCAA, especially in your Olympic sports, but especially in basketball. Double D, any thoughts on this? Who do you blame? I gave you all the options. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I would put the blame on whoever's supposed to be the adult in the room. So probably the NCAA. But you had made a good point with with the uh, commissioners and the ADs and the who gives the, power the to guys the guys that are in charge of those. Yeah, the guys that are in charge of those bowl games. There's a lot of corruption going on there. That's been going on for years. Well, cor- corruption's tough. I mean, like corruption. No, but I mean like paying for guys to go to strip clubs and stuff like that. That was. That that's been happening with college funds for those those bowl games for years, mm-hmm. and and anyway, so I I would blame whoever's supposed to be in charge, the adult in the room, should, because you can't blame the students. They're learning. They're they're growing. They're they're just kids. They're the workforce. They're the workforce. And in a lot of ways, sometimes I I, I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but how is how is this any different than what goes on around the the country? Around the world, there's a person who has the business. There's people who work for the business. Who makes all the money? The person who owns the business. The people who put in the work, who provide content or provide services. Yeah. You just pay them what you think you can pay them, right? So I don't know how that's any different. Why Why do athletes deserve – maybe they deserve more money because there's more money being made. Like like there's like you said – that. There's tons and tons. There's there's. Do you know plenty, where the pro- Do you know where around. the Do you know where the profits go at the end of the year from a university standpoint, an athletic department standpoint? If they have ten million, fifteen million, twenty million in profit, mm-hmm. you know what they do? They don't give it to the players. No. What no. do they do with it? They go build a new gym or do a new facility because if they don't use it, they lose it. Type of deal. Like that's what a university does. They just go build more things. They just they just go spend more money. 
So they show a net loss at the end of the day, at the end of the year. Yeah. That's what they do. So that the, the revenue sharing, that's where it's like, okay, like I just don't I don't think everyone understands where the money is being spent and, or the business of college athletics over the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years. I just don't think everybody knows it. I don't think there's an encyclopedia, a timeline, an in-depth, expansive, granular, getting into the minutia, the muck of it, like teaching us common laymen that are just sports fans or sports media how this entity, this behemoth, has been created into billions of dollars other people besides the student-athletes. And then all of a sudden, when the student-athletes have a little bit of power, it's like, well, you know, yeah, this is what's wrong with the world. And, you know, hey, let's welcome in our guests and get his thoughts on it. Um, right now, we have a number of different things going on in college athletics. I think it's an exciting time. I think it's an ever-changing time. Uh, there, there are head coaches leaving the game of college football to take jobs at the NFL level so they can just coach football and focus on football. This is what uh, former Boston head coach Jeff Hathley had to say about it. He says, college coaching has become fundraising, true, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. Who, do you, who or what do you blame for the current state of college athletics for these head coaches? Let's welcome in Big 12 insider Drake Toll to the show. Drake, how the heck are you? Hey, guys. I am doing great. Where I am right now, it was 65 degrees and sunny today, so no complaints. <laughs> I love it. Now, I'm bringing you into a serious conversation. I do want to get some updates on everything that you got going on, etc. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of, you know, I'm coming at you, you know, because this is uh, this is one of the news bites. This is one of the, the news feeds that's really filling the uh, airwaves and, and the written content yeah. today. You know, the Harbaugh news is interesting, obviously, Halfley, and there's going to be more that exit college athletics because they just want to coach or they just want to be schemers etc they don't want to fundraise they don't want to engage in nil opportunities for players they don't want to uh recruit their own roster and uh, the transfer portal all those things but who do you blame for the current state of uh of college athletics college football college basketball specifically yeah honestly you start with money and that that's where i've always gone is the the money itself has created the greed that has always processed the machine, and the problem now is that the cogs that make the machine run want part of that money. For for decades, college athletics has been a juggernaut where the cash went to the 1%, where it went to the biggest, the baddest, the, the universities that the, the haves instead of the have-nots. And where did the money go for the haves? It went to the coaches, the administration, the, the big donors, the big boosters, don't think that money's not kicked back in various ways. And now those who make that kick, the ones who actually do the work to, to bring the eyeballs to college athletics, the athletes, are the ones that are benefiting. And the, and the athletes, to me, then have become so much more savvy with this. They've been able to become their own managers to an extent, to be able to manage their own brand. Every athlete is their own PR director. And with that, it's just bringing autonomy to the kids that have made the money work, that made the money flow for decades. Like, all right, mm-hmm. We're finally paying the people who do the most, who do the grunt work. There are far more athletes than there are coaches or administrators. They're the ones that bring the eyeballs. People aren't showing up to an event to see a coach. They're showing to see the players play. And I'd not to say the coaches are not important in this and administrators are not important, but 
not for the amount of money they get in comparison to the athletes. That's for that, that's for sure, and that's where the issue is: is that that the money has caused the machine, and now the machine wants the money it deserves. The ones who who are who are wheeling the uh, the who are wheeling the machine don't don't want that. You know, I, Ben, it's the money. That's it. It's the money. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, I think you can blame the collective money. Like I, I think that one of the the fans that listens to the show and follows me says. Uh, Everyone is to blame. The current state of college athletics is the sum total of innumerable bad decisions, bad actors, selfishness, and greed. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, the root of all evil, right, is 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 money, right? But uh, I do think that there are are certain entities that uh, need accountability, and I would say the universities themselves and how yeah. they've operated their athletic departments and how and, and you know, they're going to say, well, we're justified in this because. The TVs, you know, the TV uh, networks. This is they, they. They were negotiating with us. We're right. the brokerage. We're we're you know. But like they could have figured out a way to make it a little bit more fair, have a few more benefits for the student athletes, and only now when they're being sued, the NCAA being sued, and even I wouldn't be surprised if universities also get targeted here. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, are they well, changing then can with I, accountability? Can I interject, too, to say, uh, look, if if you were making a salary of a head coach, if I was making the salary of a head coach, uh, I'm sorry that your job description has changed with an ever-changing world of college football. There was a period of time, moving from the 40s to the 50s, where we went from leather helmets to plastic helmets. We, we change. We do weird stuff that isn't traditional Every year, yeah, you know, I think you said it earlier. The ever-changing world of college, you know, it's changing now more than ever. Maybe that's true, but it's always been adapting and changing. And brother, those numbers next to the names of coaches, those have been changing for them too. I can't give you a world of sympathy when these guys are making five plus million a year and 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 having to do their jobs that are ever-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a conversation that will continue into this off season and into the next season, no doubt. We got Drake Tall yeah. here on ESPN 960, Big 12 Insider Locked On, Big 12 also representing ESPN Radio in uh, the great state of Texas. You're also now the play-by-play voice <laughs> for a particular yeah. baseball team. Give us an update. Yeah, so Ben, between the last time we talked and now, I have signed on with a company called Fans First that brought you the Savannah Bananas and will bring you the Savannah Bananas to Salt Lake this season. Let's go. Uh, and have joined, joined the organization in the broadcast booth. So be following the Savannah Bananas and the party animals as they make a 30-plus city world tour. Uh, coming up starting, actually, we're in Tampa in six days. And then from Tampa, we go to Philly, to Salt Lake, to Fresno, and everywhere in between, finishing off in Miami, even play Fenway. It's sold out. Uh, Minute Maid Park in Houston, and go up to Fenway as well. It's going to be a lot, a, a lot of a lot, if I may say. Uh, but I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped <laughs> to be joining Banana Land. Let's go, buddy. A couple other things here. Big 12 basketball, uh, man, it has been pure and utter cannibalism, similar to the football yeah. season. Uh, Houston's still at the top. Uh, they've come away by the, the the skin of their teeth, winning some basketball yeah. games in away settings, namely Provo and Austin most recently. Uh, what, how do you see Big 12 basketball right now? I think Big 12, Big 12 is still the juggernaut that some people in national media don't want you to think that it is. I was reading 
uh, Field of 68, listen to some of their podcasts this week, which I don't tend to. And, and their, their rhetoric, their message was that the Big 12 is overrated. And, and, man, I don't understand how a conference that has 10 teams in the net top 40, 10 teams in the Ken Palm top 35, is overrated. Now, their whole, their whole deal was the fact the Big 12 didn't have a great strength of schedule in the non-conference. Well, the Big 12 has the second-highest winning percentage in, uh, amongst anybody in the country in quad one wins. They have the best winning percentage against other power six teams. No question, this is the best league in the country, and you're seeing it on display with teams like West Virginia beating a Cincinnati. Teams like Oklahoma State finding a way to at least scratch out a win, and so many squads that are a game or two away from 500 in Big 12 play. To me, there are 10 teams, maybe more with a legitimate case at March. And, and if you've got a talking head, the guy with 500,000 followers on Twitter, Telling you the Big Twelve's overrated, you can go ahead and be, you can drop them to four hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine because they're not worth your time. <laughs> That's Rick Toll here on ESPN nine sixty. How do you see BYU basketball right now amongst the muck of it? Uh, they are competitive. They're a top twenty-five team. They've yeah. lost yeah. plenty of games in the in the Big Twelve play. They've also won a couple of nice ones uh, at home, and uh, they got that UCF win on the road. That was nice. Uh, they got some winnable games in the future. Where do you think they end up in conference play? Can they get to 500? Can they get to 9-9 nine and nine in conference play with some winnable games in the immediate future? You know, the, the way that I would describe Mark Pope and BYU right now is that word we used in the open about football. It's ever-changing. They're adaptive, shockingly so. There was a point in time about three or four games in the Big 12 play where I made the case BYU cannot live and die by the three. Now, these were in games where BYU was even taking less than 25 three-pointers. And a lot of folks came after me and said, well, BYU is trying to adapt outside the three-pointer. But the thing is, is, it wasn't successful when BYU started to take a turn to focus more on the paint, to focus more on sets that weren't so three-point centric. Uh, things weren't working out all that well, and now they are. That game against Texas, 40 points in the paint for BYU in the 84-72 win. Now you're the better team against West Virginia. Oklahoma, you don't really know what you're going to get. At home against Kansas State, I think you're the better team there. Better team than UCF. Better team than Oklahoma State. Now, here's what it becomes. And this is universal, not just for BYU, but for every new Big 12 team. Remember that one time, Ben, that BYU was good at football, and I thought BYU could be a contender in the Big 12, at least a top-half team in the Big 12. And in the middle of the season, they lost that dog. They decided, all right, it's our first year in the Big 12. We can give ourselves time to adjust. We can make excuses. If basketball does that, that's going to tank you, but they, they shouldn't. And these next five games, they could go four and one. And if they do, they have locked themselves into March Madness. Earlier this week, the Big 12 football schedule came out for 2024. What are some of your thoughts on what that looks like? And, and, and then I guess BYU fans are very interested, the fact that BYU yeah. and Utah are playing again. Uh, but it's not the end. It's not, not a Thanksgiving week kind of right. game. It's not beginning. It's, it's early in November. The first and foremost, there, there have been a lot of folks who I think have great intentions and great ideas about where the Big 12 should go from a football standpoint who like spreading out the big games and giving yourself a better opportunity. I, I get it. It's tough to put any game against Alabama and Auburn. It's tough to put any game against, against Michigan, Ohio State. But to me, you have delegitimized what the Big 12 is and can become by completely balking at the idea 
of playing on rivalry week, especially with BYU-Utah, which to me year in and year out could be a top five, top ten rivalry in the country. When you wave the white flag on rivalry week, the same way that the NFL and college football say, oh, we don't want to try to play for competition. We don't want to – the college football doesn't want to play on a Sunday because you got to compete with the NFL. Right, you've delegitimized your product. You're, you're admitting that you're not as good. And I, I go back to Clemson. Fifteen years ago, Clemson and Florida State was not a rivalry. Nobody cared. Nobody turned that game on. And, and Kansas State, BYU, uh, Iowa State, even Texas Tech, those programs are five or six years of consistent winning away from being considered what Clemson is. We didn't care about them 15 years ago. And now with the lack of games on rivalry week, even if you get a team like a Kansas State, a BYU, a Texas Tech, who goes on a Clemson-esque run, we've already said that we're not as good as the other guys. We can't compete with them for eyeballs. That's not a message that I like. I don't like that our rivalry week features TCU and Cincinnati. That's a bad product to put out in front of the country, and I'm not here for backing down on what the SEC and the Big Ten has to offer. Well, Dre, I agree with you because I was thinking about this uh, yesterday that the beginning of the 2024 football season for the Big 12, essentially you have eight new teams. Yeah. And you have Texas and Oklahoma going away. This league needs an identity. And how, how do yep. you establish that new identity? Well, one of the ways you do that is by featuring a really good rivalry game on Rivalry Week. And I think, yeah. as you think, I think they've missed an opportunity there. And what I think is worse about it is when you go to the Big 12 scheduling matrix and you see the way that they put these games, the dates they put these games, the first one you see in alphabetical order is Arizona-Arizona State. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, wow. They made such a good decision to honor Rivalry Week. And then the very next one you see is Baylor and Kansas and think, ah, oh, just when you thought they were going to put a Baylor-TCU, Arizona-Arizona State, a BYU and Utah, a Kansas State and Iowa State, or a Kansas and Kansas, something. Instead, again, you got TCU and Cincinnati. To me, you, you hit the nail on the head here with this. The Big 12 has to find an identity. I believe an identity in conference is built by conflict. Conflict starts with rivalries. The best rivalry is BYU and Utah. Why are we not finishing the year with BYU and Utah? Why is that game on November 9th or November 2nd or whatever it is? That, that does, you can't explain it to me for it to make sense. I hate it. Drake Toll, ladies and gentlemen, giving all manner of hot takes regarding Big 12 football, Big 12 basketball here on ESPN. 960 a couple last things before we let you go and uh and say farewell appreciate you hopping on as always um i've asked this question to cougar nation okay um how are they feeling about gary bohannon and him potentially being qb1 if we're going to stay in line with big 12 yeah discussion you are very well familiar with gary bohannon's skill set his uh playmaking ability and Maybe some of his uh, his uh, his weaknesses, right? Some of the things, his gaps, right? He got beat out by Blake Shapin. Tell me the story yeah. of how this all went down. And are there people out there in Baylor country that look to this particular decision of Jeff Grimes and say, look, we should have gone with Gary Bohannon. We made the wrong choice. Give me your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I, then looking back, obviously, Baylor would say that it made the wrong choice. And that was the beginning of the end of the Grimes era. And really the beginning of the end for trust in what Aranda has done. And what effect, in essence, the message that we got from the coaching staff when Gary Bohannon left and Blake Chapin was named the starter was, Gary Bohannon obviously can win you double-digit games. He had just done it for Baylor. Blake Chapin, they felt like, could win them a national championship. Now, I know that those two words, national and championship, 
sound absurd in the same sentence as Baylor, but after a Super Bowl win in 2021 and even Desmond Howard picking them to go to the college football playoff in 2022, that's what Dave Aranda wanted, was a shot at a national championship and thought that Blake Saban's upside could get them there. So they sided with a guy who was riskier but had a better upside, and they certainly lost out when Gary Bohannon had just led them to double-digit wins. Now he's been banged up. He, we, we haven't seen him in peak form, and now at BYU, I, I think when when asked to do what his skill sets are, what his skill set is best to do, and that is power the football, that is get outside the pocket, that is create with his legs. He is as dangerous as they come on the ground from a quarterback standpoint in the Big Twelve. And once again, then the kid is just a winner. I saw this guy win a Sugar Bowl. I saw this guy win double-digit games at Baylor for a team that everybody thought would be lucky to go 7-5. and five. Gary Bohannon put them on their back and did enough. He, he plays his role so well, and he just wins. That's what I love about him. That's what BYU fans are going to love about him, too. Love that perspective. Drake Toll, ladies and gentlemen, best way to follow Drake. Tell us, Drake, what's the best way to follow you and support you in your quest to provide content to everyone willing and ready to consume it uh, regarding yeah. Big 12 or the Savannah Bananas, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. So, at Drake C. Toll on Twitter or at Drake C. Toll on Instagram now, that one's really kicked back up. Uh, I'll have all the stories from the road as we take you across the country with the Savannah Bananas and the Savannah Party Animals, and I'll still be hosting Locked On Big 12, giving you all the latest in basketball and football across the conference. And then uh, I, I haven't had you on yet because I feel like I haven't graduated up for, to guests that are that high profile, but let me get a couple of these in the media, and then we'll see if I can shoot with the stars and grab you. I, I, I didn't know if you were, you know, having, you know, low-level guests like me on. I mean, I'm, I'm more than willing to give a hot take on the airwaves on uh, on your show, no doubt. I just thought you'd like to, to, to just be a solo guy. You're a Colin Coward guy. You can you can fill up the airwaves without me. Uh, you, you're uh, Jim Rome. That's who you are, man. You don't need anybody else. It's all you all uh, day, we'll, every day. We'll see. Some of these days, it, it's good to bounce around ideas. I don't know. We'll see if we agree too much. We'll have to find something. I don't know if we have yet. Oh, no. We can, we can, we can disagree. disagree. On in this world. We'll definitely disagree. We can create <laughs> some fictitious enmity between us on, uh, yep, on the Radio yep. Waves slash podcast and the, uh, the streams, if you will. We can cross the streams. We'll cross streams, Ben. You nailed it. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate you, Drake. Thanks for hopping on today, man. We'll catch up with you again soon. Absolutely. Dose grande. Rock on. There you go. Drake. Toll, ladies and gentlemen, never cross the streams, Darnell. I try to cross streams with Darnell uh, uh, from time to time. He doesn't like to cross streams. You don't know what this. You don't know what I'm referring to, do you? I have no idea. Okay, this is an '80s film. Okay, those are those. Murray, yeah, Dan, Dan Aykroyd, yeah, yeah, Ghostbusters, Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver, yep, Rick Moranis, yep. Ghostbusters. Oh, with the Ghostbusters. Don't yeah. cross the stream. Oh, yeah, with I do the, know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Unlicensed nuclear device. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Don't cross the streams. Don't cross no, the streams. Yeah, I, I love Drake, and uh, we can cross streams anytime, buddy. Let's uh, let's debate. I, I'm always up for a debate. I'm always up for a little bit of disagreement. I try to get Darnell to disagree with me all the time. Try to poke, prod, you know, get him, like, a little bit angry, get the juices flowing a little bit. He's such a nice guy. Doesn't like to... Doesn't always like to, you know, take the bait. I know that BYU fans would love to hear what Drake has to say about Gary Bohannon. 
How great was that? That was That's a great take on, on Gary Bohannon. Because what I've seen, I've seen a few things come out, and they're ranking Big 12 returning quarterbacks. And whoever's going to play quarterback for BYU, down at the bottom. So I think mm-hmm. BYU fans are pretty happy to hear what Drake had to say, that Gary Bohannon's a winner. He'll fill his role. He'll do what he does. And uh, maybe BYU can have some success that way. Yeah, you know who I need to bring on, though? I need to bring on the head coach for Riverside City College to talk about Jake Retzlaff because this is going to be a two-headed monster I talked right to now. him. You did? For a story. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was great. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Ping him. Let's get him on. Text him. Let's go. I want to debate. I want to talk. Let's go. Uh, we're going to go to break. Uh, our question of the day, chime in on it. Want to hear from you, all you Cougar fans in Cougar country. A lot of movement in the head coaching world. College football is changing. Is it changing for the better? In my opinion, I believe it is. Kirk Herbstreet, and this was my question, who or what do you blame for the current state of college athletics? You have head coaches leaving to the NFL, college coaching has become fundraising nil and recruiting your own team and transfer there's no time to coach football anymore that's what jeff halfley had to say former boston college head coach he's leaving to become the dc of the green bay packers kirk herbstreet went on to say earlier today that he believes that this is going to be occurring this is going to be an occurrence that we're going to continue to see for the foreseeable future college football in its current state will be seeing more and more coaches heading to the NFL. Without boundaries and regulation that makes sense, coaches that get real opportunities in the NFL will be gone. This trend will continue until there is a new governing body and it creates a collective bargaining agreement with a player's entity or union that would include issues like NIL, transfer portal, and eventually revenue sharing. The sport is spiraling out of control, as we know, and many of these coaches are not sticking around and waiting. Just a new reality for the sport. Dewey Gray thinks that this is going to diminish, he believes it's going to diminish the, uh, I guess, the the level of coaching that these, these, these college football players are going to get. The quality of play will decrease in college football, thus hurting the NFL. He thinks there's going to have some sort of domino effect here. Now, I believe this is my this is my take on the matter. I don't nece- I don't necessarily disagree or agree with Dewey here. A lot of people have said that um, that the the transfer portal. It was it was gonna like ruin the, the 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 play, right? The the entertaining quality. I think the play and the parody has actually improved. Okay, I think there are plenty of talented football players. I think, despite CTE and the propaganda that was put out, and and uh, all the fear mongering surrounding concussions and concussion protocol, etc., you've actually seen an increase of of high level high school. Football players jump into the sport and want scholarships, right? They want to play the game. You're still seeing tons. You're not seeing the significant drop-off yet. Maybe that will change in the years to come. But right now, you still have a ton of kids coming out, high-level football players, and they're wanting to play at the collegiate level. D1AA's, D2's are filled. JUCO's are being filled with guys that want to play the game. Um, I believe there are high-level coaches at JUCO ranks. I believe there are high-level coaches at the high school level that want to make more money, and they're willing to take on those jobs right now. 
It's just, are you willing to hire them if these college coaches are going elsewhere? I ask this question all the time to, to individuals that are former players, football, basketball, whatever, baseball. I'm like, if you were independently wealthy, what would you do with your time? They're like, I would coach. I would coach if you were independently wealthy. They want to get into it because they love it. They love the competition. They like the culture. They like the strength and conditioning. They like the nutrition. They just love everything that goes into it, whether it's basketball, football, whatever it may be, coaching. Like I still, I think there is plenty of high-level coaches out there um, at the high school level. I think a guy like Eric Kerr could go into the collegiate level very easily. I think he'd do fantastic. I don't know who coached you in high school, Caleb, but my high school coach, one of the winningest in high school football history in the state of Arizona, he could have been a college football coach, no doubt about it. I think he would backfill. Um, if you see people moving up and they don't want to do this, I think there are people that want to continue to coach. Uh, we'll see what happens, though. We'll see what happens. Any thoughts, any comments here before we go to break? Uh, I was going to say my, my high school coach for my junior and senior year was Danilo Robinson. He kind of coached all around the country, um, Army, Navy. Okay. Uh, so and he and he came down. He's a he's a Utah State alum too. He played football up at Utah State. So he came and coached us our our junior and senior year. And our our only two losses were like in the semis mm-hmm. to Orem. So he was a high level coach. He went out to California back to his uh, alma mater and yeah, um, and produced pretty well. Um, and so, so I, a pretty good coach. There's there's good coaches out there. I think just given the right circumstance, I think there's a lot of guys like that with experience. Opportunity, kind of just, right? Taking chances here and there, like he's got two kids. His son, his son's actually racking up a bunch of offers. Just got one from Utah. Yeah, um, not seen one from BYU, so that's kind of oh. uh, might have to go talk. Some right. people Shot through there. the heart, as G Man says. But no, I think there's a lot. I agree. There's a lot of good coaches at the high school level that I think you'll see make this jump as as these college coaches are are kind of dipping because they don't like what the game has become. Yeah. And maybe it'll just be this carousel as you're getting yeah. guys that are going to drop out of the NFL because they don't like what's happening with that. They're going to come down to what they think is a more pure level, and yeah. we're just going to see rotation. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of guys all over the place. Me, never. I was telling my wife this this morning. I will coach my son's football team when he's like seven, and I'm going to take a break, and I can do it again when he's like a junior in high school. That's it. In between, like 8 to 15, I, don't, I can't do it. You're not going to play around with that. that no. Not going to mess around with that. This is what I'll say kind of in closing. If you want to create longevity, sustainability of uh, uh, of coaches at the collegiate level, then – and no one's pointing at – once again, I'm pointing at the universities and the respective athletic departments. That's where I'm putting some of the blame here. If you want to create balance for your coaches, then hire personnel, support personnel that can that they can administratively – offload some of these daily operational to-dos. Does that make sense? Darnell, what would you need in your life to be better at your job? Like if I had if I had resources, right? If I had resources, what menial tasks can I hire around? Just say I'm I'm a multi-million dollar industry business, right? Like you're my head guy, you're my position coach. How can I offset? What's your menial task that you could offload administratively to someone? I don't know if it's menial, but we don't have a full-time photographer anymore. Okay, well, there we go. Hey, That's can you good... get me a photographer for the love of Pete? Yeah. You know, okay. get, give me some photos. Yes. Have them run around, take video and photo, and like that, I can utilize that for my my written content. Okay, that's not menial, but it, it's a it's a competitive element yes. that 
and you you don't have a camera. You don't have video. They well, don't. I, I do have a camera that I can shoot at high school games, but I'm not so, great at. But it. you're like you're right. multitasking. Yeah, right? I'm trying to write a story while I'm shooting. Yeah, so you're one arm over here. That's what a high school. That's yeah. what college football coaches do. I, I yeah. got to fundraise. I got an NIL. I got to recruit. I, I'm I'm a sales rep. I'm a CEO. I'm all the things. Yeah. Right. I think the problem with that is like let's you you have Kalani Satake who's like a key contributor to our recruiting and our NIL because of the personality that he is. So either you have to delegate that to someone else that's not that same caliber of person or find someone else who also can coach while he does this stuff. And I think right now he's done it a little bit where he's really solidified his two coordinators that he doesn't have to coach as much as he needs to. He coaches as much as he wants to, which is a lot. But so he is able to do these things over here. But I think the problem is that in the true college football delegation, like your Nick Saban, recruits come because they like Nick Saban. Like, they want Alabama, but they like Nick Saban. They like Nick Saban. So you can't – so you're 72, like, knowing you got to do all of it. you got to teach these boys how to be men, but you also got to be the one to show up at their yeah, house. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the delegation, like, you can you can hire as many dudes as you want. Do you but... want your – look, do you want your head coach to be a fundraiser and sales rep? Yeah. Or do you want him to be a CEO? These are two mm-hmm. – these are three different skill sets. Yeah. Okay, they are. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says. Like, these are three different. I am sales, marketing, like, and I've learned to be more administrative and a better leader and more kind of like executive based as a small business owner. But it's a skill set that I didn't necessarily naturally had. I had to develop it. It's hard to spread yourself out thin, yeah. right, and do all the things. That's what I'm getting at. I look. If I'm looking under the hood, I'm saying, okay, athletic directors, university presidents, do you want to create sustainability at your particular school? If you continue to overwork your coaches, you're going to burn them out, and then they're going to leave, and they're going to get money elsewhere. They get the same or similar money going to the NFL, and you're going to lose them. Okay? So you better sit down with them and say, what can I offload? How can we hire around you? Give me feedback. Where do you feel overly stressed? Where do you feel overly extended? What's the best business competitive model for our organizational design within a football department, right? And and truly execute it after that, right? Execute what feedback they've, they're giving you because he just told you, he's like, this is what I've been doing. I have not been coaching. I got into coaching to coach, not to raise funds, not to, you know, figure out NIL to what like my players will stay at my university, not to go and recruit the transfer portal. That's not why I got into this. Like, this is a new thing, right? Like, that's why he's leaving. Maybe that's why Harbaugh's leaving because he hit, he hit the top, and he's like, all right, now I can just go focus on football for a minute. I don't have rules and regulations. The NCAA, this paper <laughs> tiger, like, breathing down my neck and, and po- causing bad PR Now the for NCAA me. can't ban him from something. Yeah, 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 a bit causing bad PR and villainizing me when he's a God-fearing man. He's a good man. He's a man of integrity. He's trying to do his job. He's just trying to win games, and he did. Yeah, yeah but he, and I think he did it the right way. Everyone's going, oh, no, 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 he's a, he's a dishonest. Like, the whole propaganda machine in, in like, you know, this, I don't know, there's a muckraking element to it. Like, I think Harbaugh and his family are fantastic people. I do not think that is a bad man. I do not think that he is a corrupt individual that is just willing to do anything it takes, doing whatever it takes to win. 
You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that is a false narrative. It's a false narrative, in my opinion. And uh, But that's what happens when you win. Look at what's happening with Tennessee. Tennessee has done some things aggressively in NIL and transfer portal. And you know who's pissed off about it? Probably probably teams that have lost to Tennessee over the last two years. Right. And so they're like, hey, you should go and evaluate this. The teams that have traditionally beat you, right, and have some power over um, the NCAA or have influence in the media world will give you some some information. Hey, I heard this. You should investigate. You should look into this. It's a story. Media organizations will then run with it because they can make money off the clicks and the, the controversy, et cetera. It, it, is it true? Is it false? You know, is it is it slander? Is it libel? Whatever it is, but that's how it that's how it goes, and then it creates some sort of balance in the force. They don't like it. They don't like it that Tennessee bought up depth. I didn't like it either because Keenan Peely and Gabe Judy Lally just started for them. Keenan got injured, unfortunately, when he could see him play, but Gabe Judy Lally was a starter for Tennessee. It would have been nice to have it Brigham this last season. Anyway, I digress. We're going to go to break. Mark Durant talking BYU men's basketball coming up next. This is Cougar Sports, ESPN 960. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 